this, does oh, this one have it? Even these lines are wrong. Does that have it or is that? Yeah, it does. It does. Let me try just okay. Well, now that's cut off too. There's all those lines missing. Oh, they're under the power Oh, because they have this is the old shape notebook, is what it is. Let me go see if I can find it in a book in here real quick. Church, take your song hand out, stand with me if you will. Page number two, farther along. Page number two, farther along. Welcome to the service. I had something to say and now I don't remember what it was, but uh, good to see everyone here this Sunday morning. Hope you've had a good week and we're looking forward to a good day in God's house. And uh, you know, I I do remember what I was going to say. There's a lot of things that in this life we'll never understand. Uh, And as time goes on, sometimes we look back and we understand some things that we didn't while we were going through them. But 
Sometimes we get through life and it's like, I have no idea why things turned out the way that they did. And the song says we'll understand it all by and by, and that's probably true, but there's probably also some truth that when we get to heaven in the presence of the Lord, we're not going to care, amen? It's just not going to matter when uh, we get to the other side. So praise the Lord for the privilege to worship the Lord today. Let's sing this second verse on Farther Along. Faithful till death said our loving master a few more days to labor and wait told the other page over. This will be a new one for us. Jesus, lover of my soul. We'll have the pianist play through. We'll kind of sing through in the first verse, and then we'll sing the whole song after that. Okay, so kind of the first verse here, follow along with the words here. <laughs> oh, my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the nearer walk while the tempest still is not, hide me, oh my Savior, hide till the storm of life is past. Even guide, oh, receive my soul at last. Hopefully I got the tune there. We'll sing back on the first verse. Here we go. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high,
I know we I felt like we started out a little slow, probably because it was unfamiliar, but it's kind of interesting how that from the first verse to the last verse, it's like we picked up a little bit of energy, a little bit of momentum, and uh, there toward the last of that song, I really felt like it was going good. Looking forward to singing that more on a regular basis. All right. Well, welcome to the service. Good to see everyone. Good to see Miss Ardeth. We sure have missed you after her battle with COVID, and we're glad that you're doing well. Everything going well, sister? Amen. All right. Well, you look good, and we're glad that you're here. And as always, it's good to have um, Brother Glenn's parents with us, um, the Coppingers, and uh, we're glad that they're able to come and visit from time to time, and so it's a joy to have you. And uh, it's even a joy to have Brother Sharp with us today. Amen. <laughs> All right, let me get into announcements. Uh, First of all, Wednesday at 7, Bible study, Proverbs chapter number 4, and uh, maybe some of chapter number 5. And then uh, our youth group meets at uh, Wednesday evening as well, as well as Master Club for 3-year-olds through 6th graders. On Sunday, we've got our, excuse me, on Saturday at noon is our street ministry. And then ladies' prayer meeting is Saturday at 7 p.m., men's prayer meeting is at 8 p.m., We'll be having the Lord's Supper on October 31st. That would be next Sunday, and so be prepared for that. We'll do that after uh, after the message at the end of the service. And then you noticed on your, um, your handout today, uh, upcoming events, November 6th is the Pumpkin Festival. That's a Saturday, and we're going to have a booth, and we're going to be passing out tracts and trying to get the gospel to people. And we need volunteers to help out with manning our booth. And so it's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's seven hours. And we've got 90-minute time slots. And so uh, we've got to sign up after the service this morning, and that will be going on between now and when that event takes place. And so um, sign up for at least one slot. If you have questions about that, see Brother Ralph Harding. He's the one that has organized this outreach and so uh, in this time period we've been through, it's very difficult to do a lot of personal outreach because of the pandemic, and so here's an opportunity that we can do it. It's outdoors, it'll be safe, 
Uh, we can wear masks if we want to, and, and uh, I'm sure that there will be people uh, out and about like what we see today that uh, uh, are not wearing masks, and so uh, you prayerfully come, and uh, we'll, I, I believe that we'll have an opportunity to get the gospel that we haven't been having here recently. So do be praying that God's uh, power and grace will be upon that outreach. All right, let's sing our last hymn on the back of your handout, just over in the glory land. Let's stand. I have a home prepared where the saints abide, just over in the glory land. And I long to be by my Savior's side, Some that couldn't be here today are going through some pretty tough times, some grief and some sorrow and some challenges in life. It seems like everybody that I talk to is going through something. And uh, I do appreciate your prayers for my wife and I and uh, just some of the things that we've been having to deal with here of late. And I'm thankful that some of the things we've had to deal with are not near as bad as what others have had to deal with. But uh, I know for us personally, it's just been the constant, just uh, one thing after another, 
even though some of those things may not be big compared to what others are going through, it's just been continual. And you know, we have times like that in life, and sometimes it's the devil beating up on us, and sometimes it's just uh, the circumstances of life. And as we sang that song, we may, uh, we're not going to understand it until we get over to the other side, but... Um, I know that we certainly are in a time as a church where we need to pray for one another, uh, people who have lost loved ones and, um, and people who have, are sick and have been sick. It just seems like there's a, uh, there's a, a major concern or a heartbreak uh, almost each and every day. And so let's make sure that we uh, stay on our knees. And if you've not been on your knees, let's get on our knees and make sure that we are praying for one another. Revelation chapter number 2, Revelation chapter number 2, Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of God is trying to tell us something. And this is at least a two-part message. Uh, My plan is for it to be two-part. And part number one today is subtitled, Canceling Out all the background noise. I'll say more about that as we get into the message here in just a few minutes. But first, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessings on the message today. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, and we thank you for the privilege to be at church today, the privilege to open up a copy of the Word of God. And Lord, we count it a privilege to be able to stand behind this pulpit And Lord, so much Bible truth has been spoken behind this pulpit, and we pray that today would be no exception. We pray for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, just in all honesty, it just seems like that uh, here this morning, uh, there's just a, uh, there's a a resistance in, in, uh, in the service today. It just seems like people are tight, and uh, Lord, we need your help. And Lord, we need to rejoice today. We need to learn some things. Uh, We need to get closer to the Word of God and have a greater understanding of what is going on in the world around us. And Lord, we just need you today. Lord, as we uh, take a look at this subject of canceling out all of the background noise, 
some of the hindrances that keep us from hearing what you have to say to us. And we pray for wisdom and guidance and grace and help me to say the things that will be helpful and will give understanding. And I pray that I make good use of my time and not run any rabbit trails that don't need to be run. And I just pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts today. If anyone under the sound of our voice today is without Christ, we pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them to you. There's a believer who is uh, out of fellowship with you and not on track for Christ. We pray that some things would be said today that would help get them back to a right relationship with you. Have your will and way and get glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Background noise is something that does not stop a voice from being heard, but rather it renders the voice unintelligible. I know I've shared this with you. I have a hearing impairment. I'm not deaf, but as far as some conversations, my wife would say, yeah, you're practically deaf because you hear me talking but I got to be honest with some, I just most of the time without hearing aids, I don't understand a word she's saying. Amen. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, you're one of those husbands that you just tune her out because you don't want to let. No, sometimes it's like I want to know what you're saying, but her tone and her voice and my hearing impairment sometimes, like especially with we're in the car and my bad ear is toward her and uh, she's talking and you got the background noise, the road noise, I'm like straining. I can hear her just fine, but I can't understand what she's saying. Background noise can be a great hindrance to uh, to sound being intelligible. I remember years ago, one of my first missions trips going over to the Middle East with Brother Runyon. And we spent some time in Israel, and then uh, we, we drove to Egypt, and we stayed in the city of Cairo. Very large city and just uh, lots of traffic. I mean, Cairo is a traffic nightmare. I've been in places that have, a, you know, just a really bad reputation for traffic problems. Manila in the Philippines, Mexico City... And let me tell you something, both of those are like driving through Troutman compared to Cairo, Egypt. Now, you may live in Troutman and think, well, you don't know how bad Troutman is these days. I know it's getting bad around here. It's not like it used to be. And listen, I grew up in Idaho out in the country, and literally you could drive wherever you wanted, and you might only see a couple other cars. And so it's not that way today, but, you know, traffic is getting bad everywhere. But in Cairo, Egypt, the traffic is so bad that it is a continual honking of horns and traffic noise and sounds. And uh, we stayed in a hotel in Cairo, and we were literally on about the 10th floor, way up, and all night long, all you could hear was the honking and the traffic, and it just, it never stopped all night long. And and it took, it wasn't until about three or four days into that trip when we were about ready to leave that I finally got used to it and I could sleep and relax. And you know, there's so many noises, there's so much background noise that we get accustomed to because it's around us all the time. Uh, just a couple of days ago, I, I wanted to My wife and I just wanted to spend the day together and just get away from things and relax. And so 
we, we went to Asheville and we were hoping to see the leaves in their peak and everything's running a couple of weeks late or at least a week late because we saw some pretty uh, leaves, but we had to go up on the Blue Ridge Parkway, a little over 3,000 feet elevation, and uh, there we saw a pretty good color, but still not nowhere close to peak. But we went on up to Craggy Gardens, and it's about a 0.8-mile hike. Uh, you know, not really steep, but, you know, enough to get you a little bit winded. And we got about halfway up there, and we just stopped to catch our breath a little bit. And uh, we're standing there, and it just hit me how quiet it was. No background noise. I mean, we did, I did, that, at that moment, I didn't even hear any birds chirping. There was no sound of the wind whistling through the trees. It was just quiet. And I remember thinking, wow, that just, that is so pleasant just to feel total quietness. And I found that it actually quieted my spirit. I wonder how much that all of the hustle and bustle around us doesn't subconsciously keep our insides maybe just a little bit wound up because of all the background noise. But you know, God is trying to tell us something. And part of the problem with us listening is we live in a day and age where there is a lot of background noise. And I want to talk about the background noise of the book of Revelation. And really my approach today is a lot of times, have you ever noticed when you run across some controversial passages in the Bible that it seems like people start focusing on the controversy or focusing on the aspect of that particular Bible passage that we don't understand, that we don't know for sure, to the point where where we don't really get what is clear out of that passage. We just, all of the background noise comes to the forefront And even though we just read the Word of God, the thing that God's trying to say to us is unintelligible because all we can think about are the question marks and the uncertainties and so forth. And so a pastor's responsibility is to help people understand the Bible so that you can read the Bible for yourself and you can hear from God and not have all of that background noise. The seven churches of the book of Revelation represent seven distinct time periods in the history of the church. That's important for all of us to understand. Earlier Christians could not see and understand this. Why? Because those time periods hadn't taken place yet. And so to us, it's pretty much a certainty. The description that Christ gives of these seven churches in Revelation match perfectly to these different time periods from the time of Christ up to the present. And I hate to say it, but you look around and we are smack dab right in the middle, if not toward the end, of the Laodicean church period. And that's not a good church period, by the way. And so these are some things that we can know for certainty, but God's children in the past couldn't necessarily see it. God's revelation ended with the completion of the New Testament, and especially the book of Revelation. God's illumination, however, is progressive. We know things from history that illuminate our understanding. 
And let me say this, and this is something that many Christians would not receive what I have to say, but I say it with absolute certainty, and that is this. We have the Word of God preserved in the English language in this King James Version of the Bible. And it is crystal clear without contradiction that this book right here in this language has actually aided or added in the illumination of our understanding of the Scripture. We can know some things from the English that were not clear in the Greek or the Hebrew. And so what happens is the liberal scholars who have learned what they know about the Bible from liberal professors and seminaries and Bible colleges, they will accuse us of believing in dual inspiration. As if God inspired new truth through the King James Version. I don't believe in dual inspiration, but I do believe in preservation because God promised that He would preserve His Word. And just like when the New Testament which was written in Greek, and then as it was translated into English, if you ever study that out, you find that the New Testament actually brings to light some understanding of some Hebrew Old Testament passages, and the same thing applies in God preserving His Word in the English language. These Bible scholars that try to portray themselves as so smart and knowing the original. They talk about the originals, the originals, and what they mean is the original language. And they'll say the original text. And they don't tell you that there are about 40 different options as to what they're talking about, and they picked and choose the one that they like the best, or the one that their Bible college and seminary told them that was the best, and they don't tell you that it is not as crystal clear as they try to make themselves. They're they're not near as smart as they try to portray themselves. So I don't know about you, when God said that He would preserve His words, Psalm 12, 6 and 7, from this generation forever, I know just like in in the New Testament times, Greek was the language of the world, even though it wasn't the language of Palestine. Did you know that? It wasn't the language that Jesus and the apostles were commonly speaking, but they wrote it in Greek. Why? Because that was the language of the world. And we are living in a day and age where that language, Koine Greek, is practically a lost language. We have classical Greek, but Koine is filled with uncertainties as far as word definition, and the scholars know that. But I tell you what we do have, we have English, and without controversy, English has been the trade language of the world. It is the most common language since the 1600s, and there is no doubt in my mind that God preserved us a copy of His words. I believe in advanced illumination. There's some things that we can know, and thank God for that, but early Christians did not have that understanding. So we ought to be thankful for that. There's a lot of controversy and speculation that has spawned from this final book 
of the New Testament. I'm going to give you today some facts that will not only protect you from false teachings, but more importantly, help you to understand the book. And once you understand it, receive the blessings and the understanding that Christ intended for us to have. Revelation 1 verse number 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The Lord says we are blessed if we read and hear the words of the book of Revelation. Now certainly that admonition extends to the entire Bible. But the actual context of Revelation 1-3 is talking about the book of Revelation. And so most Christians today, have, have you ever heard of tinnitus? I know that some of you might actually suffer from tinnitus. That's a fancy word for ringing of the ears. Now, I have, uh, listen, I have shot 300 mags before without hearing protection. And let me tell you something, they make your ears ring. I've shot 44 mags without ear, ear protection, and they'll make your ears ring. The, the guy who tested my hearing and fitted me for a hearing aid, he said, that's probably what my problem is, because when you fire a firearm, you're doing more damage to one ear than the other because of the way that your head's turned and so forth. And you know, back when I was a kid, everybody shot guns, and you didn't see anybody with headphones on or earplugs. I, they weren't around when I was a kid. Some of you old-timers are smiling. You never heard of them either. But you probably didn't understand a word I just said either. (laughs) Most uh, people who have tinnitus or a ringing of the ear, it's because of hearing loss. You know, the, the the brain recognizes that there's not sounds that should be there. And so the brain needs that audio input, and when it's absent, it kind of tricks you and it starts to create its own. Most of tinnitus is not in the ear, it's actually in the brain. In the same manner, the spirit in us needs input. Just like the brain needs audio input, the spirit in us needs input. And the sound of the Spirit of God, have you ever noticed that the sound of the Spirit of God is annoying to worldly believers because they don't understand it? They don't understand it because they've stopped listening. And so what happens, what they should be getting intelligible sound, but they're not getting it, and so they end up with spiritual tinnitus. That's not an actual condition, to be quite honest with you. I made it up. But it is true. I do believe that it is a true condition where people are filling in the gaps with noise because they're not listening to the intelligible sound of the Holy Spirit of God through His Word. Now, our message is about canceling the background noise. Now, I'm not an expert on noise cancellation. I'm going to just explain just some really basics. There's smart guys here today that know way more than me. I guarantee you, Brother Moody knows a hundred times more about this than I do. 
but I'm going to give you what I know, okay? Sound is, is transmitted through sound waves, through energy. And the way that we represent that is we draw it as a sound wave. And you've seen it, it's just, you know, like a wave going back and forth. And the high points are certain decibels, and then usually there's a midpoint line, and then you've got lower decibels, and all of that energy is transmitted or transferred. And the way that if you've ever bought um, um, noise cancel, noise canceling, that's easy for you to say, noise canceling headphones, then you know you can put that on and, and, and actually if you're listening to music or preaching and you're in an, you're on an, an airline flight, it'll actually cancel out a lot of that roar of the engine or it'll cancel out that background noise, not by muffling it so that it can't get to your ears, but rather what happens is the electronics inside of that, it's uh, that noise canceling device, it reads that sound wave, and wherever there's a high point in that sound wave, it quickly—I mean, everything's just a just a, a slight delay, not so that you recognize it as a delay, but when it reads that high point, it fills in with a low wave, and that ends up canceling that out. Once again, that's a very crude illustration of what's happening, but the noise canceling produces something that's just the opposite so that it keeps the brain from intelligibly hearing it. It just blocks it out through electronics. You know, as I thought about that concept, I thought, you know what? That's what the Spirit of God wants to do to the mystery of iniquity, the voice of the Antichrist, as the devil's trying to speak to you with one wave, the Holy Spirit's trying to cancel that out with truth. And in the same manner, as the Holy Spirit is trying to give you truth, Satan tries to produce a noise that ends up canceling that out so you don't even hear it or recognize it. Now, how are we going to cancel out the background noise and not hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Well, we've got to, we've got to understand some things. And so I've got four things for you here today that I believe will help cancel out the background noise as we read through the book of Revelation. Number one is we need to have the key to understanding Revelation. Now, I'm not going to stand up before you and pretend like I have just, I understand the entire book of Revelation every time I read through it. All right, I learn new things, but there's also new things that I see that I don't understand. And I've yet to find any, uh, I mean, super intelligent uh, believer or Bible teacher that would say with sincerity that they have the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel mastered. It's, it, I know in many cases it gets too complex for this small brain. But there are some things that I do understand, and I do know that the book gives us the key to understanding it. Revelation 1, verse number 19, Jesus says to John, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. 
That's the key to understanding the book of Revelation. It's not written in chronological order from the beginning to the end. It's divided just as Revelation 119 states. And as you read about the judgments, you've got vile judgments, you've got seal judgments, you've got trumpet judgments. These are not progressive, but rather this is three separate trips through the tribulation period, or I guess we could say three separate perspectives through the tribulation. And the human mind, we are so accustomed to reading through a book in chronological order that sometimes we get confused. And if we'll remember Revelation 119, the things which John has seen, the things that are and the things that shall be hereafter, that will help keep our perspective in the book of Revelation and it will eliminate not all of the question marks, but it will certainly erase some of those question marks and eliminate that background noise so that we can intelligibly understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Secondly here this morning is uh, recognizing the literal and the symbolic language in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not entirely symbolic or allegorical. Parts of it are, but those parts identify themselves. Revelation 17 and verse number 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. What does Jesus do? He reveals that the waters that John saw are representative of all of the multitudes of people. That doesn't mean that every time you see the word water in the book of Revelation that it's talking about the masses of people. But it's certainly telling us that that particular vision is talking about the population. I think about in the book of Revelation, the the woman who gives birth to the child who will rule all nations. Let me say this, that woman who gives birth to Jesus Christ, it's not talking about Mary, it's talking about Israel. That's another study for another time. By the way, By the way, and and this is not a popular thing that I'm getting ready to say, but it's true and it needs to be said. You'd have to stick your head in the sand not to recognize the whore of Revelation 17. I'm going to read this to you, and uh, this is very unpopular, unpopular teaching, and it is forgotten and neglected But it is true and it is still relevant even more so as we get closer and closer to that day approaching the tribulation period. Revelation 17 verse number 1, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters." with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman 
sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, and having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This admiration here is not in a positive way. John is just perplexed. Why? Because this great whore that sitteth upon many waters is professing to be the bride of Christ, but she's actually just the opposite. Anything that we read sound familiar? Arrayed in purple and scarlet and a golden cup in her hand, the mother church. If you knew anything about mystery Babylon religion, you would see that modern Roman Catholicism is a parallel the rituals, I mean, the doctrine, almost to a T, is just repackaged Baal worship, change the names of Baal and Nimrod and all of those uh, Babylonian gods, change them to Jesus and Peter and Mary and so forth, and what do you got? You've just got a repackaged version of the old thing that, by the way, has been the enemy of God and His people from day one. Seriously. You'd have to stick your head in the sand to not recognize it. I'm not talking about conspiracy, and I'm not saying that we should hate Roman Catholics. Listen, I I know some really good Roman Catholic people, and 98% of them in America are totally ignorant of all of this. I, I personally, I, I personally like listening to Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity is a devout Roman Catholic, and I've heard him talk about what Muslims do to Christians, and how I've heard him blast them. And I'm just thinking, wow, you are ignorant as to what the Roman Catholic Church has done to Christians throughout the ages. You ought to get your hands on a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. You will find, you will find things that they did to people who believe just like we do. You will find horrible things that are not even human. I mean, we, you couldn't even imagine the torture. I'm not just talking, hey, hey, listen, if you got burned at the stake, you were fortunate because what they did to some other people was a hundred times worse than that. All in the name of Jesus Christ. But we don't hear that today, do we? But it hasn't changed. It's in the book. And I think and I believe that we're going to see that particular religion, and we're already seeing it on a global level, it's going to just continue to get more and more popular. A lot more attention, not only globally, but in America is being drawn. Now, I'm thankful for some of the things that they stand for. I'm thankful that they're against abortion. Amen? I'm thankful for some of the good things that are true. But just like everything, you take a bunch of truth 
and a bunch of error and you mix it together and what you have is you have poison that's labeled something positive. And that's even more dangerous. You take and you put strychnine in a Mountain Dew bottle and you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to drink it. So it's scary. So it's important that we understand that uh, the language of the book of Revelation is not all literal, is not all symbolic, but much of it is literal. All right, let's move on here before I make any more friends. Number three, I want to talk to you about the meaning of angels. We just read about how that Jesus said unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, when you, when you see all seven of these churches, Jesus is addressing the angel of these churches. And the traditional teaching of the angels of the churches is that, that Jesus is addressing the pastors of these churches. And I have to say that in all clarity, that is in error. Even though there might have been some preachers and men of God that are ten times the man of God that I will ever be, they're still wrong. Because the Word of God doesn't bear witness to that. It's an honest mistake, but it stems from an incomplete common definition of angel. Most Bible teachers say that the word angel means messenger. You probably have a footnote in one of your Bibles where it says that angel means messenger. While this is often the function of an angel, it is certainly not the definition of an angel. Consider the following passages, Isaiah 63 and verse number 9. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In Acts 12, verse number 14, And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. And then Genesis 22, verse number 11, we find 59 times in the Word of God the phrase, The angel of the Lord appears. Now, sometimes it's referring to an angelic being, Gabriel, Michael, and and, and it's distinguishing the difference between Satan and his angels and God's angels. And that's why the term an, an angel of the Lord, meaning it's an angel that belonged to the Lord. But in many cases, and the text always bears witness to it, the angel of the Lord is talking about an appearance of God himself. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. That angel of the Lord is God himself, because that's who Abraham was offering that burnt sacrifice. Well, the testing of the offering of his son Isaac. If you take all the usage of the word angel in the word of God, you'll find that the term angel means appearance 
or I guess we could say on a little bit looser level, we could say it means representation. And, and I like what one preacher said. He said, everything on earth has a representation in heaven. The book of Revelation reveals God's perspective on what is going on in the world. What God is doing, the representation of what's going on on earth that God sees in heaven is what he is revealing to the apostle John. And John's writing it down so that we can see what God, we can see what's going on the way that God sees it. And that's why he likens a church to a woman. That's why he likens waters to people, or excuse me, I should say people to waters. That's why the Gentile nations are represented by different beasts with horns and eyes and wings and so forth. All of those things are representations in heaven of things that are going on here on the earth. My last point in reducing the the background noise and all of the clutter is we need to have a full understanding of the church. Not only do we need to understand what an angel is, not only do we need to understand the key to the book of Revelation, things that are and things that, or excuse me, things that were and things that are and things that will be, but we also need to understand what the church is. Because if you don't have a, a right understanding of the church, It's going to be a bunch of background noise that's going to crowd out what God is really trying to say to us. The church is not a human organization. Now, obviously, the book of Revelation is addressing seven different local churches. I mean, I'm talking about the literal, what John's writing about. I know that there's a dual application there. You've got Literal churches, a church in Ephesus, one in Thyatira, one in Sardis, one in Pergamos, one in Philadelphia. One These are actual literal cities in Asia Minor. But beyond that, it's time periods. We see that clearly now. But it's addressing these seven different churches that all possess diverse qualities and flaws from one another. These churches aren't all identical. One church has strengths and weaknesses that another church has total opposite strengths and weaknesses. We're going to see next week that this church at Ephesus, it had some great, tremendous qualities. And, And as far as what Jesus says, it was only lacking one thing. But oh, what a big thing that one thing was. The church is both local and universal. The problem comes when we don't distinguish the difference or when we believe in one and reject the other. Listen, I've been around good brethren, people who I love and respect that do not believe in a universal church. And they come across passages in the New Testament that talk about the church and the way that they have to implement the teaching and apply it to a local church when God is meaning it for the universal church, they come up with some really, really crazy ideas about baptism and church membership and communion and so forth. And and I've seen some situations that really get 
pretty nonsensical, to be quite honest with you. The term Catholic, you'll notice on the screen, I've got a small C, not a big C. It's a Latin word that means simply universal. I believe in a Catholic church. I just don't believe that the Roman Catholic church is what that's talking about. There's fundamentally nothing wrong with the word. The problem is that the true Catholic Church is not the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I don't go around calling it the Catholic Church, even though there's nothing wrong with that word. The reason that I do that is because it would create more confusion than it would understanding. Because most people, when they think Catholic, they think of the Roman Catholic Church. And so there are some people who believe only in the local church because they don't believe in the Roman Catholic Church and they don't know how to distinguish the difference that words have meanings and they're not always a label talking about an organization. And so I refer to it as the universal church to save a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. Now, this Roman Catholic Church concept, that may not mean that much to people in North Carolina. It's, it's not a, a big deal to us. But you know what? Worldwide, what I just got done saying is a big deal. A huge deal. You go to different parts of the world, or you go to different parts of this country, such as New York City and Chicago and major cities that are predominantly Roman Catholic. Do you know if you go to almost any place in the world, and you say that you're a Christian, you know what they automatically assume? That you're Roman Catholic. And so it's not a big deal here, but on a global basis, and as far as what God sees in what's going on in this world, I believe that it's important that we understand these truths in order to cancel out the lies and the... the uh, the deception that Satan is trying to fill people's hearts and minds with. The universal church is the body of Christ. When you see the term body of Christ in the New Testament, it's referring to the universal church. In short, it's talking about everybody that has been born again. If you are a born-again Christian... I don't care if you're a member of a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church. And listen, I believe there are born-again Christians that are in Catholic churches. This, I've talked to some of them. I, 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 got, a, I got a friend that I haven't talked to him for a while. I, I sat down to lunch with him. And I said, what do you believe? And he started telling me what he believed. And I just, you know, we had a good relationship and I felt like I could be open with him. I said, well... I gotta say, if you believe that, you're not a very good Catholic. <laughs> and he chuckled. He said, I've never had anybody tell me. I mean, he, it's just, he, he is able to stay there and yet not believe everything that they believe. I, you know, all I know is when I left the conversation, it's like, you know what? Everything he said he believes is the same as what I believe for salvation. So he may, you know, whether he's saved or not, that's between him and God, but I think that there's probably some that are. I've known some that have a pretty good testimony when you find out about their salvation. You say, how do, how do, how do, you, 
how do you reconcile that? Well, I'll tell you how I reconcile it. You know what saves you? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? It's the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on the cross. And you know, there are churches that I believe teach a lot of false doctrine, but they still, they still present those truths. And I believe when that truth is presented, the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Because after all, it is the Holy Spirit, not the church, that saves people. Amen? You get under the sound of the gospel and good things can happen. Amen? You know, the, the church of Christ believes that water baptism is necessary for salvation. But I think there's probably a lot of them that got born again as soon as they walked out of the pew and started to go down to the altar, and they believed in their heart, and they got saved, and then the preacher said you have to be baptized, and so the message was right, but the invitation was wrong. So, I mean, they got messed up in their doctrine on day one of their salvation. But listen, the gospel of the grace of God is still being presented, so... Good things can happen. And listen, there is not any one religious organization that has a monopoly on God's truth. Amen? And none of us are perfect, by the way. It would be so arrogant for me to stand before you and say, I've got it all figured out. How can I say that when I just learned some new things last week? Amen? It's a growing process. But I will say this, I've got a perfect book. Listen, I'll make apologies for me, but I won't make apologies for that which is clear out of this book right here. Those things we ought to stand for and we ought to have confidence in. Why? Because they're crystal clear in the Bible. The problem is, is this Bible is not most people's final authority. Tradition is. Whatever their religious organization or their alma mater says, those, you know, whatever trumps the scripture becomes your authority. And that's the problem in the church in America today. Hebrews 12, verse number 23 shows us the universal church. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written where? In heaven. Listen, if you're a member of the church, the body of Christ, that means your name is written in heaven, not in some church role anywhere in Statesville or wherever. None of that matters. Written in heaven and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's the universal church. But then we find in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Paul says, the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. That's the local church. And so you don't have to believe in one at the expense of the other. You just have to rightly divide the word of truth and take it in the context that there are local churches and then there is the universal church. And by the way, the more that a local church looks like the universal church, or at least the way that God intends it to be, then the better off that we are. Amen? God's plan for the body of Christ, what we're supposed to be, is what every local church ought to be. 
And so in conclusion, I'd like to say this. On a practical level, not every church is the same. There are good churches and bad churches. There are many churches that used to be good, but no longer are. Easily, easily, folks, over 90% of professing believers stay in a church for the wrong reason. And the same percentage change churches for the wrong reason. It's just, it's just insane what we see going on in American Christianity. Let me give you some signs that a church has went bad or is going bad. And you do whatever you want with this. This is my observation and my opinion, but it's a strong conviction. Number one, modern Bible translations. Mark it down. You start messing with the authority and the preservation of the Word of God, and you start changing words and watering it down, you start making it easy to understand for a dumbed-down version of English, and that's what we have today. We went from, how are you today, to, yo, dude. And we want to take God's Word and make it to where modern culture can easily understand it. You know, we're a bu- you talk about a bunch of hypocrites in the Christian church. When it comes to God's Word, they want to make it easy to understand. But boy, when they sign their life insurance contract, they want to make sure that every word is exactly right so it protects their investment. Bunch of hypocrites. Words have meanings, and when you change words, it changes the meaning, and God preserved and put His Word together, you start messing with it, and something, I'm telling you what, leaven comes into the lump, and it creates this atmosphere, this atmosphere that we're here to judge the Word of God rather than let the authority of God's Word judge us. That is the first mark that a church has either went bad or is going bad. And, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know what? I know, I know a good preacher and a good church that used the, the New King James Version or they use this. They may be okay today, but you mark it down. They're heading in the wrong direction and they're going to be a bunch of messed up nonsense tomorrow. Where do you think, when you look at the denominations in America that are now accepting homosexual pastors. Where do you think it started? It started by just tampering with just a little here and a little there, changing this word to where now this isn't the authority. We question it. Well, this translation says this, and I like the way that this one's worded, and it sounds so smart and intelligent but all it's doing is leavening the lump and it's causing question marks in the, in the minds and hearts of God's children. And all it's doing is opening up Satan saying, Yea, hath God said? Produces uncertainties. Mark it down. I'm telling you the truth. Number two, mark of a church that's either gone bad or going bad And that's when worldly music that represents what people like rather than what God likes. 
mark it down. You say, well, there's nothing wrong with this music. You know, you know what I have observed? Music has all kinds of different flavors, wouldn't you agree? Some of you like country western. Some of you like um, pop music. Some of you like heavy... You know, when I was totally, I mean, away from God, all of my friends listened to the heavy metal and the rock and roll and all of that. And so, you know what? That's what my friends listened to. And for me to be cool and accepted by them, that's what I started listening to. And, you know, as, as, as a young man who was saved and grew up in a Christian home, when I first started getting around that, you know, I didn't like it. It bothered me. And then just like all of the things in the world, or most of the things I should say, music, beer, stuff that really isn't palatable, but you have to develop a taste for it. And that's what happens. I developed a taste for the world to the point where I couldn't even distinguish the difference. That's exactly what's happened. I've watched in Christianity and people think that they're conservative because they're listening to a sound that's 15 years old. I'm telling you the truth. What happens is you're an old fogey because you listen to a sound in your Christian music that goes back to the 50s and 60s. When that same sound was being played in the 50s and 60s, the preachers then were preaching against it. Hey, you know what? The big band era was a wicked time if you were a man of God preaching in a pulpit in America back in the day. Now we look at it, well, it's okay. It was my grandparents' sound. What are you saying, preacher? You're saying that we can't enjoy anything? No, I'm just simply saying that there is a problem when we look at music based on what we like rather than looking in the Scripture and say, what does God like? What kind of sound is the Holy Spirit like? I'm not being a prude here today. I'm just simply saying that there is a mentality that is a sign that a church has went bad or certainly is going bad. I see it time and time and time again. You start going down that path thinking, well, we're just going to go a little ways just so that we can reach more young people. You know, it's exactly what the intention was back in the mid-40s and 50s with the big crusades by some great men, by the way. They wanted to reach the masses, and the more that they could draw in, the more that they could preach the gospel to. You know, it might have worked really good for their ministry, but it sure has stunk for ours. Why? Because it just gets more and more ridiculous. To where now you got Christian rap, you got you got sounds. Listen, I knew that was wrong when I was a teenager living wickedly. Now you got believers that try to pretend like there's nothing wrong with it. Music is neutral. Music, perverting the Bible, all of it goes hand in hand. And then number three, you're not going to like this one either. Lowered standards. We lower our standards. Our dress standards. 
our gender standards. You know what? It doesn't matter how, you know, how I wear my hair or whether I wear dresses or pants. It doesn't matter if I look masculine or feminine. It doesn't matter. I mean, modesty. Listen, oh, as long as I've got some of it covered up. You know, everybody's got a standard of modesty. You know that? You, you, you try, I mean, you, you go past a certain line and I guarantee you they're not going to let you fly on their airline. It's not that they don't have any standards, it's that people have low standards. And the problem is, is we have standards that are not based upon the Word of God. You know, the average Christian in America today is clueless as far as what should be covered and what shouldn't. Do you know that if, if you wear... If you wear shorts or dresses or skirts, do you know that they need to go down to the knee in order to cover your nakedness? Preacher, that's your meddling. How dare you? Hey, look it up in the Bible. It says point blank clear that you uncover the thigh and you show nakedness. How many, how many youth groups would you see in independent Baptist churches in America today that would actually implement that? Oh, well, we have a standard of fingertip length shorts. Hey, I don't know what your arms are like. I mean, you, you, it, if fingertip length shorts for you cover your nakedness, then I got a banana for you. I don't know about you, but my fingertips come about six, seven inches short of covering my thigh. You say you're nitpicking. No, I'm saying our standards should come from the Bible, not from our own reasoning it out. Or, well, we don't want to have too strict of a standard because we might lose some families. Let me tell you something. If I stand up here and tell you what the Word of God says, and if I'm right and what I'm saying is true, and you don't like it and you leave, what does that say? I, I know what you think about me, but what does it say about you if you really don't care what the Bible says? Last time I checked in this book, people that get born again are people that have a hunger for God, show me your word and show me how to live. Listen, let me wrap all of this up. The only vital quality of a church is the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the vital one. There's a lot of other things that can make a body spiritually sick or weak, but the one that matters the most is making sure that Jesus Christ is in our midst. And the way that we ensure that Jesus is in our midst is that we make Him welcome. Without Him, nothing else matters. But mark it down when you see the things that I pointed out, those three things, it means He's either left or He's hanging around the exit door and tired of feeling uncomfortable and unwelcome in His own house. 
By the way, have you noticed all the cries for unity today? Statesville newspaper just last week, a bunch of Christians getting together and having a march and whatever they did, different beliefs and different religions were coming together for the sake of unity. And listen, humanly speaking, you look at that and you think, unity, that's great. You know what? I want unity. Why would we want division? But herein lies the problem. Jesus taught no such thing. I don't believe you, preacher. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm glad that you uh, that you want to know the truth. Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty four. Jesus said, "Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household." He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. There's your source of unity right there. Listen, you want unity, don't drop your beliefs, but rather preach them and say, look, if you'll believe the truth like I believe, I'm not talking about the vague stuff, I'm not talking about the the controversial stuff, there's enough stuff in this book right here that is absolute and slam dunk, and if every, you you take a hundred people that believe this book right here is the final authority... You're going to find so much unity and common ground that there's not going to be any division. But the problem is the people that have rejected this book are all saying to us, you're a bunch of troublemakers and why don't you just set aside all of your stubborn ways and all of your hateful, judgmental attitude and come and be part of us? To which I say, why don't you get right with God and come be part of us? And then we'll have unity with the presence of Jesus Christ. If your church does not believe in the authenticity and authority of the Bible, leave it. Find a good church. If your church has rejected the teaching of the Bible in favor of the religious herd mentality, leave it. If your church has accepted women pastors and preachers, Leave it. If your church has accepted perverse sexuality that God calls an abomination, leave it. If your church has turned its youth ministry into a rock concert, leave it. If your church has stuck with the Bible and biblical standards and values, stick with it. Put up with the faults and the failures. Put up with that old-fashioned hellfire and damnation preacher that is so narrow in his viewpoints and so opinionated. Stick with it. If you're in a good church, be faithful and get in all the way. I close with Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You know what? If you're going around and you're complaining about what's going on in the world around us, and you're telling people, hey, we're in the last days, the Lord's coming, and you're not faithful to the things that are going on around here, why don't you just do yourself a favor and just zip it? Because you're a hypocrite. If you believe the day is approaching, let me tell you something. You ought to be at prayer meeting. You ought to be at outreach trying to reach people. You say, well, when are we going to have our Sunday night service back? When are you going to go to what we have going on? You know, you got Sunday night off. Whatever you do Saturday night, do it on Sunday night and come pray with us because that is an assembling of ourselves together. Got awfully quiet. But let me say this as I close. What I said today was with sternness, but it was with a solemn warning and trying to get us to... to, Listen, we've got to shake out of this sleep and we've got to start getting real. Jesus doesn't just accept any old thing whatever we present to him. And these admonitions to these churches in Revelation are crystal clear. Jesus is saying there's some things that are right, strengthen them. There's some things that ain't right, repent and get it right. If I've said anything here today, if it's true and it's right, if I didn't say it in the right spirit or the right way, then please forgive me. But don't reject it if it's true. If it's God's Word, then receive it and let it into your heart and start making some changes. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for its authority. Lord, uh, so many things are just crystal clear, black and 